The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning. Dusted off the sweaters, eh? <laughs> what a lovely, lovely morning. Well, it's good to be here uh, with you all again. And I'd like to begin a conversation about practice this morning, if that's cool. So why don't we do this, just to get you know, the blood flowing a little bit. Turn to a neighbor and share with someone next to you, what is your current practice? What is the thing you love that you're doing, you're honing the skill? What is the practice that you're engaged in? All right, go. All right. So show of hands, how many of us have a practice we're engaged in, okay? How many of us are trying to still find one? Okay, some of us? Yeah, totally. So I was thinking through this. Uh, when I was with you all a while back, I told this story of when I went bike camping in Montana, and I finished the sermon with that story, except I didn't get to tell the end of the story. Would you like to hear the end of the story? Yeah? Okay. So let me get you up to speed in case you weren't here. So last summer in the height of like COVID claustrophobia, I hit the open road just to get out, you know? So my van, I wandered up to New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and I'm just meandering. And then a buddy of mine in Montana heard I was heading up there. And he's like, you want to come bike camping? I was like, I would love to. I don't have the right bike. He's like, don't worry, I gotcha. So he planned four days in these gorgeous hills outside of Bozeman. Four days, um, 16,000 feet of climbing, uh, 50-pound bikes. So we set out. We're having a lovely time. The first day, we're climbing, 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 climbing. And then you descend into camp. We're descending, descending, descending. The guy who plans it crashes. He goes down, splits his knee open pretty bad. And then he has to call for a ride. Unfortunately, he is our map. So he now had to download his map to us. So in the next slide, he's showing us the route. And the main thing he's emphasizing is whatever you do, do not go on this route. He's like, you got it? Whatever you do, go on any other route except this route. The next morning, we woke up, and then we were on that route. <laughs> so we spent seven hours. I rode my bike for 10 minutes. For the remaining six hours and 50 minutes, I pushed my bike up a mountain. At one point, it was so steep. My bike was so heavy. I had it on the ground. I was on top of it and just dragging it inch by inch. So we finally got to the stop, and then in my last sermon, that's where the story ended. But that's not really how the story ended. Would you like to hear? So on the last day, we're just descending. So you're like descending, 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 super fun. You've earned it, right? You've been climbing, 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 and then you get to like descend all the way down. 
So we're descending for like hours. And at one point, I've picked up a lot of speed. I see this right turn in front of me coming pretty steep, a hard right turn, and on the edge of the right turn was a 200-foot drop-off. So I'm picking up some speed, and I was like, okay, I need to start scrubbing some speed. I grab my right brake, nothing. Grab my left brake, nothing. Both brakes, nothing. I'm without brakes. So my heart jumps out of my chest. I start looking for somewhere to bail, like, like some grassy area just to crash. And then without thinking, I put both my feet down. I skid for like a 1,000 feet right into the turn, right to the edge, enough to look over. And I was like, whoa. And in that moment, in that moment of near catastrophe, it was 15 years of practice that grounded me. The question I have this morning is this. What is your spiritual practice? Do you have a practice that when catastrophe comes, because it will, when life punches you in the face because no one gets a path, and in those moments, do you have a practice that grounds you? Our text this morning is in Philippians 4. And Paul's in the midst of catastrophe. He's in prison. And then he writes about the peace of God that transcends all understanding in the midst of catastrophe. Isn't that what we all want? Right? That's it. Right there. And so I wonder this morning, can that be practiced? Can there be little moments day after day, can you practice so that when catastrophe comes, you can be grounded? And so I propose this morning that perhaps, perhaps we can. And so let's pick up the text, Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So what do we think that means? What's the relationship between rejoicing and peace? What do we think that is? So in the original language, the word rejoice, you know what it means? It means to open your heart. So perhaps Paul's saying is, open your heart to the Lord, or open, to, open your heart to what, what God has presented your life currently to be, to, to what is. Open your heart to what is your life. I will say it again. Open your heart. So what is your life this morning? What is it? What is the life that God has unfolded before you? It's simply your life. What is it? What is it relationally? What is it vocationally? 
What is it physically? What is it emotionally? Are you getting a grasp, a picture of your life? Can you kind of see it? And the question I have is when we gaze at our life currently, is our heart open or is it closed to it? Let's say on the spectrum of one to 10. Let's say 10 is your heart open, one is your heart closed. When we wake up in the morning and we're presented with our life, are we like a three, like an eight, a nine? Byron Katie says like this, I am a lover of what is because it hurts when I argue with reality. We can know that reality is good just as it is because when we argue with it, we experience tension and frustration. We don't feel natural or balanced. When we stop opposing reality, our life as it is, action becomes simple, fluid, kind, and fearless. So for me, when I notice that my heart's kind of closing in a little bit, and especially in little moments, I have this little practice that works pretty well for me. So when I just kind of feel like I'm resisting life, I'm just going like, ah, I take a deep breath and I go, I forgive this moment. And when I just say that out loud, it just gives enough space to be here for this moment. So a few weeks ago, um, it was kind of late. It was like a Wednesday night. I was up till midnight, I forget why. And I was about to go to bed, and then you know when you're about to go to bed and you get like the munchies, right? So I'm like kind of ready for bed. I've got a cocktail that's almost finished. So I wandered in the kitchen. The kitchen's already dark. I open the fridge, and the light comes out of the fridge, and I don't have many good snacks. The only other thing I see, you know those blueberry containers, the plastic ones? So I had one that's full. I'm like, fine, that's all I've got. So. I take it out of the fridge, and as I'm pulling this blueberry container out of the fridge, my hand hits the door of the fridge. As it hits the door, I see it in slow motion release out of my hand and start twirling, twirling, twirling. It hits the ground, blueberries everywhere. <laughs> so in that moment, I proceed to let out a string of adult words that's very impressive. And as I'm releasing this string, I'm like, oh, my heart's kind of closed right now. <laughs> so I just take a deep breath and I go, I forgive this moment. <laughs> and as I forgave this moment, I just started laughing. And I got on my hands and knees and just, it's not that big a deal and I forgave that moment. And I wonder, friends, what part of our life feels like it's been scattered across the kitchen floor this morning? Part of our life where we've lost control. We had hopes and dreams of what it would be and it's just like chaos. And what would it look like to trust that God is in that and to say I forgive? I forgive this moment. 
And so if you're willing, I'd like to try something this morning. If you're willing to just be like slightly vulnerable, and if you're not, totally cool. But if you could just turn to a neighbor and at the level of vulnerability that feels comfortable. And if you're not, you can do it alone. But what part of your life feels scattered just across the kitchen floor? You've lost control. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's work, maybe it's health. Share it with a neighbor, and then after you share it with the witness of your neighbor, just take a deep breath and go. And I forgive that moment. And just notice how your body changes and what you feel, all right? If you're willing, I'll give you a couple minutes. Okay, go. All right. So let's take a deep breath together and just say it out loud. I forgive this moment. Another deep breath and say aloud, I welcome this moment. And let's read this verse one more time out loud. Open your heart to what is. I will say it again, open your heart. Let's keep going here. Verse five. Then he says something kind of peculiar. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Hmm. And then he says, the Lord is near. Whatever your life is right now, for all of the light and the shadow of the places you feel unworthy to be loved, the places you feel worthy, whatever your life is, God isn't far away. God is near. And then he says, let your gentleness. What does that mean? What does gentleness have to do with the peace of God? I wonder. And I wonder if it's this. Perhaps until we're able to be gentle with ourselves, it's not easy. Until we're able to be gentle with ourselves, are we able to be gentle with life itself and the people around us? So are we gentle with ourselves? Are we? What are those moments we're not that gentle with ourselves. What are those moments? And then what are those moments when we're actually able to be a little bit kind and compassionate? What are those moments? What is the earliest memory you have of learning not to be gentle with yourself? Do you have a memory? I was thinking through this, and um, I was nine years old. And I don't really have all the memories. It's like a memory and a feeling. Do you know what I mean? And so I was nine. I was in probably the least conducive place on earth for a nine-year-old boy. It was Sunday. I was in a church basement 
in a children's choir practice. Not conducive for nine-year-old boys, just saying. And so I remember we were having fun. I remember my best friend was there. Members just like, I remember the feeling of just like enjoying myself. Probably acting developmentally appropriate as a nine-year-old boy, right? Probably a little rambunctious. Probably maybe giving the director a hard time. Possibly, most likely. <laughs> and then I remember, I don't know how she got in the room. My mom appears next to me like a ninja. She's just like, ah, like, where'd you come from? <laughs> and I remember her whispering in my ear. I don't remember what she said. And I remember she whispered something and then immediately tears came flowing down my cheeks. I remember being embarrassed. I remember my best friend looking at me like, why are you crying and just, just not feeling good. And from that day forward, a voice stuck in my head. If I'm not good enough, if I'm not moral enough, if I don't behave well enough, if I'm not perfect enough, and we're never perfect enough. We're human. And so for us, are we gentle with ourselves? What are those memories of not being gentle with ourselves? Brene Brown says this. She says, self-compassion is key because when we're able to be gentle with ourselves in the midst of shame, we're more likely to reach out, connect, experience empathy, change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. And so if you're willing in this moment, just close your eyes and take a deep breath. And when you woke up this morning, what was the inner critic saying? What did it say? Do we believe it? Whose voice does it remind you of? And if you can hear that voice, just thank that voice. It was trying to protect us. It's trying to keep us in line, trying to make us better, but somehow kept us from being alive and human. As you take a deep breath, just imagine, Ecclesia, every day, if we did this once, twice, three times, it would fundamentally change the way we exist in this world. And if we're able to be gentle with ourselves, we'll learn to be gentle with life, and in turn, the people around us. Wouldn't that be beautiful?
And then Paul finishes up in verse 6. I never liked verse 6. It kind of felt like religious willpower. It says, don't be anxious about anything. That always works, right? <laughs> don't be scared. Okay, okay, we're scared, right? Don't be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It feels like to me, or it's been used sometimes as like spiritual bypassing. Don't be scared. Be thankful. <laughs> Didn't work. Didn't work. So I wonder, what, the, what is the relationship of anxiety? What makes us anxious? And then what makes us prayerful and grateful? So let's hold those two things. What are, what are those things that make us anxious? What are the things that make us grateful? And then I think in verse 7, Paul gives us, unlocks some hidden wisdom that I think is beautifully profound. So it says, don't be anxious, but in prayer and petition, be thankful. And then he says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all what? One more time. The peace of God, which transcends all? Understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And perhaps what Paul's saying is the peace of God comes when we're able to transcend our mind, our thoughts. What he's saying is perhaps our thoughts, which aren't us, our thoughts are just what our body does. And when we attach ourselves to the thoughts, we think we are our thoughts, that's where anxiety comes. But when we transcend our mind, our understanding, when we're simply present to this moment where God is, where you are, where you don't need to do anything, you don't need to perform, you don't need to be better, you simply are in the presence of God worthy of love. When we're able to be there, the peace of God that transcends transcends all understanding. What if we tried that right now? Just to be out of our minds, out of our thoughts, to transcend understanding. So let's try this. So let's be here in this room. Take a deep breath. Feel the air on your skin, the breath in your nostrils the ground beneath your feet, the chair under your seat. And in this moment, outside of our thoughts and our understanding, the peace of God. And Byron Katie says it like this, a thought is harmless unless we believe it. It's not our th thoughts but our attachment to our thoughts that cause suffering. Attaching to a thought means believing that it's true without inquiring. A belief is a thought that we've been attaching to often for years, and that's the snowball 
of anxiety. And so what if, friends, just each day we're present, just simply opening our hearts to what is, sensing that God is near, and learning to be gentle with all that is our life. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.